When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the TSL podcast. As always, I am joined by my bosses and cohorts here at TSL, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Uh, guys, I feel like the winter cold is finally starting to hit here in Blacksburg. This has got to be the coldest day. We are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, this has got to be the coldest day in yeah. the last, what, month maybe probably so it's pretty it's chilly <laughs> it's I, I, extremely I chilly. i didn't have to wear a jacket earlier this week and i had to today. we have a, a heater here in the office that will uh, likes to bring in and put over there because he's a uh, uh he is always cold the building's old <laughs> and uh and, and, and the heater is definitely on today but uh folks there's several things i want to hit on in this podcast obviously we don't have a game to recap but i do want to talk about virginia tech's bold destination they're going to Orlando, and I'm actually uh, rather surprised. If you if you listened to the podcast last week, you know that I, I was expecting it to be um, either Jacksonville, which would be the Tax Slayer Bowl, uh, New York, and the Pinstripe Bowl, uh, and, and I thought that those were the two most likely destinations for Virginia Tech, and obviously they end up going to the Camping World Bowl. That'll be Thursday, December 28th against Oklahoma State. Um, Chris, I think I know what your thought on this is, but... You're not really happy with that matchup, are you? Uh, I wasn't at first, um, and I, I don't think Virginia Tech can keep up with Oklahoma State. I'll go ahead and say it straight up uh, because Tech's offense is so banged up and so young and things like that. But it's a better matchup than I originally thought it was. Uh, you know, when you consider one of the best two defenses Oklahoma faced this year, they scored 31 points. In Oklahoma 30. State. What did I say? Oh, you said Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Ah, the best. <laughs> Oklahoma State. The best two defenses they faced this year uh, were TCU and Texas, and they scored 31 points and 13 points against those two teams. Uh, and the 13 points is in overtime, right? Uh, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, um, I think three of them might have come in overtime. Now, likewise, you can turn that around and say the only two offenses with a pulse that Virginia Tech faced – West Virginia put up, what, 580 yards and 28 points, and Miami put up over 400 yards and 28 points. So it, it kind of goes both ways. I, and I think the offense and defense will kind of split the difference uh, between each each other as far I mean, the Oklahoma State offense and the Virginia Tech defense. And it'll come down to Virginia Tech's offense and special teams play. And where Virginia Tech does have a huge advantage is the Hokies are – eighth nationally in the FEI special teams efficiency ratings, and Oklahoma State is, I believe, 123rd. You know what's really interesting about this match? We had a conference call with uh, Fuente and an Oklahoma a State head coach, Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy recruited Justin Fuente when Justin Fuente was in high school, and that was because Mike Gundy was an assistant coach at like 23, yeah. and he was recruiting for Oklahoma State. And I thought that was really interesting that Fuente was a high school quarterback and he was being recruited by Gundy and at Oak State, and then Fuente ends up going to Oklahoma. It's just a, a weird dynamic. Have you ever, ever seen a dynamic like that before? Uh, I don't know. At least um, with, with Virginia Tech? Uh, that's a good question. And, you know, Cornelson was a quarterback in the, in the state of Oklahoma at, at that time, too. So, and Vance Vice 
played at played, Oklahoma State. Yeah, played so, with Mike Gundy. So, was home. So mate. here's what I'm thinking. Frank Beamer never coached in a bowl game against a guy who recruited Frank Beamer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is very true. Um, the, the an odd set of circumstances had to happen for this game for them for Tech to get into this game. Uh, first of all, Notre Dame did not make a New Year's Six game, so that means that Notre Dame immediately becomes part of the ACC's bowl lineup, which mm-hmm. is a part of that very convoluted and what seems to be very unbalanced deal between the ACC and Notre Dame. Um, the big a Big Ten team, which is Wisconsin, they lost against Ohio State. They end up going into the Orange Bowl to play Miami, who lost to Clemson. Uh, so that opens up the Citrus Bowl for the ACC. The Citrus then selects Notre Dame because they're a part of the ACC's bowl lineup, and they'll be playing LSU. And then that means the next highest-rated team in the college football playoff then goes to the Camping World Bowl, so that's why we're here. So really, Virginia Tech can thank NC State for losing to Wake Forest at, at the end of the season for them going to Orlando. Um Will, are you kind of happy with the prestige of this bowl game and, and going to what's perceived as a pretty good bowl? It's it's actually higher than the Tier 1 bowls. Is this is this good enough for you, considering all the circumstances surrounding the season? So when you talk to an old-school guy like me, um, you know, once you get beyond those top bowls that still retain some semblance of their actual name, the Orange Bowl presented by Discover, or it used to be anyway. I don't know who's doing it now. Um, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Once you get beyond that and bowls are called things like the Tax Slayer Bowl and the Camping <laughs> World Bowl, I, I don't know what bowl you're talking about. I don't know if this is a bowl with a $500,000 payout or a $4.5 million payout. Um, yeah. I get it. Uh, what did it used to be? Was it... Uh, was the Russell Athletic Bowl? Yeah, it used to be the that. Russell Athletic. Was this the old Blockbuster Bowl in the early 90s? I don't know. know. I, I'm actually not sure. The, the, it, bowl sponsorships change so much, and you're right. It, it, well, it, you don't even know what bowl you're talking about when anymore. When you do dip below the what's now the New Year Six group, which includes you know all of the, the famous bowls, the Cotton Bowl is in that group. Uh, well, when you get outside that group, you really start to lose a little bit of prestige. Think, think about it like this. All right, this is the second highest rated bowl that, an ACC, that the ACC is guaranteed to get, only behind the Orange Bowl. They can get the Citrus Bowl in certain years. Yeah. Uh, they got it last year. Uh, but this is the second – this is the number two bowl in the ACC packing order. Now, depending on whether an ACC team makes the playoffs or gets the Citrus Bowl or whatever, it might not fall that way. But in general, this is the ACC's second bowl. So if you know that, yeah, that's great. That's that's great. But, but if you're, how many you're, people know that? Yeah, how many how many SEC <laughs> fans know that? How many Big Ten fans know that? How many Pac twelve fans? How many know recruits that? know that? Yeah, it's it's just the camping word. So I'm texting with my uh, my brother. He's eight years older than me. He's a UVA grad, and he said, "What bowl is Tech going to?" I said, "Camping World Bowl." And he goes, "Camping World? What's that?" And and I had to explain to him that they are a they are a large national chain of RV sales and service places. Now we used to own an RV. And that's why I know that. You know, I think Camping World's awesome. When you own an RV, you know Camping World, and it's awesome. If you don't own an RV and there's not a Camping World near you, you're like, what do they sell, tents and canteens? You know, and I'm, I've totally gotten off track. What was the question? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, look, I know I know he's a UVA grad, and, and I'm just messing with him here, but they are going to the Military Bowl, which Tech was in a few years ago to play Navy. And I feel like Navy actually has a chance to win that game. Oh, sure. Looking yeah. at the, oh, yeah. Yeah. Looking um, at all the, the, the stuff. So, so anyway, uh, 
one thing I do like that I'm hearing is that, uh, you know, this has been this bowl is pretty highly rated as far as watchability. Um, you've got two ranked teams in it. One of them is an offensive powerhouse with a with a national name in Oklahoma State. The other one, you know, Virginia Tech's got a good reputation. You're not watching Western Michigan against, uh, I don't know, give me a random team. Wake uh, Forest, right? Yeah, something like in that. In the Quick Lane well, Bowl, think in about it like this. <laughs> All right, this bowl, the year before Clemson played for the national title for the first time, this bowl game was Clemson versus Oklahoma. That's pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, this is a good bowl game. It so, is. Yeah, so it if, is. if you sit and look at past matchups, you'll be like, "Wow, this is some pretty, pretty serious company." Oklahoma State, with the exception of that Virginia Tech Rutgers. Game. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma State, um, I believe, was third in the in the Big Twelve, which is why they got into this game. So. You have two highly rated teams in terms of the college football playoff rankings. You have two teams that finished inside the top three in their, in their respective conferences. Um, Chris, how beneficial is it for Tech to play a team with, like Will mentioned, that national brand of Oklahoma State that plays a an exciting brand of football and, and catches a lot of eyes? I think your ideal bowl scenario each and every year, and I think most people would say this, is to play a team – with some kind of national name, you know, don't play Tulsa in the in the Independence Bowl, Bowl or, or, Shreveport, or, 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 or Cincinnati Rutgers. in the Military Bowl, or, or Rutgers. Rutgers or somebody. So play, play, play a big state school with a good fan base, someplace warm, and make and have it be a matchup that you stand a realistic chance to win. And there's a lot to do in Orlando, so it's a good yeah. destination. See, one of the Tax Slayer Bowl, the old Gator Bowl, is, was one of the possibilities. And while I like the bowl game. I, I went to Jacksonville many times, and what is there to do in Jacksonville? I went twice, and, and there's the I've landing. I've never been. And, you know, from where we stayed at the hotel, it took us 30 minutes to walk to the landing. And, and, and the landing's not that great. It's, it's just not. a bunch of shopping, right? That's the one thing about Jacksonville is that it's extremely spread out, and it, it's not, you know, very dense. So, like, nothing is within, you know, a really short driving distance. But I like I, I like how you mentioned, you know, there are a lot of stuff to do in Orlando this will be the second game in two years that Tech has played in Orlando. They obviously played in the ACC championship game last year, which was moved to Orlando for a season. Um, are you concerned at all about Tech fans just not wanting to go? So, that, yeah, that was a question I had for you guys. What have you heard about ticket sales? I thought I saw some mention uh, maybe mixing up with another board I was looking at. But what do we know about ticket sales at this point? I don't know. I haven't heard a darn thing. Nothing. Yeah. I've heard I, nothing. I mean, I, I, I get the feeling the Tech fans aren't going to go. Hmm. Uh, I mean, well, I know none of my friends are going. Uh, the, and you know, it used to have been twenty-five or thirty thousand Tech fans would have gone to a game like this. Uh, you know, and you consider they're saying it's a few days after Christmas and blah blah blah. And the fact is, not as people, not as many people go to college football games anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when you have that kind of travel. And I think Tech, or the, we also need to understand that. Tech has already played two games on the road really far away from Blacksburg this year. They had the game in Boston. They had the game at Miami. So those fans, that select group of fans that make the trip to just about every game, they might be traveled out at this point. And they might figure, well, you know, we'll just stay home for the holidays, stay home for Christmas and New Year's, and uh, they might not go to this game. Well, and honestly, part of this is, you know, 25 bowls in a row. Um, when yeah. Yeah, I remember, you know, when, when it got announced they were going to the Independence Bowl in 1993, everybody piled in cars and drove down there. It was a big deal. And then the Gator was a big deal the year after that. Sugar's a big deal. And then the Orange. And, 
you know, after a while, you start to pick and choose your spots. And, and maybe if the opponent was Oklahoma instead of Oklahoma State, and I don't mean that to slight Oklahoma State at all. If you have a brain and watch college football, you know they're a good football team. I'm, I'm the type, I don't want to drop $1,000 or more to go down there when I don't think we have a great chance to win the game. And I, I think Tech probably has about a one in three chance to win to win this game. And I, so, and if you're a Tech fan and you feel that way, in the end, yeah, you're going down there. Maybe you want to go to Disney. If you have a family, you want to do some nice things with the wife and kids and everything like that. But in the end, you're going down there to go to a football game, man. You wouldn't be going down there on December 28th if there wasn't a football game going on, most likely. Yeah. So you want to win at least. Give yourself a decent chance to, to, to go to win the ball game. To and if you're sitting there, well, let's say you have a fam a family of four. How much money is that going to cost? Uh, that's a lot. Right, right. And it's a lot of money just to that, get one person down there. Will knows that all too well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so, and if you don't feel like you have a fifty fifty chance of winning the game, or maybe even a forty percent chance of winning the game, or you're just not that jazzed by Oklahoma State, right? Are you are you really going to spend that money? Yeah, it's it's totally understandable, and we'll we'll have to to give it time and see how you know ticket sales go and how and if people start buying more, or if we see ticket sales kind of kind of flatline. I do want to hit on the playoff really quick because there was obviously some really big controversy surrounding the number four seed in the playoffs. So everybody knew that Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia were going to get in. All three of those won their conference championships. Uh, and at least to me, in my eyes, those were the clear three best teams in the country. You can argue of the order. That's not important to me. Number four, uh, you had Ohio State, which was one of the contenders for that. They won the Big Ten title. Um, obviously beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. and then uh, But had those two losses, lost Oklahoma at home, and then obviously got f- uh, flattened by Iowa. Uh, and then you had Alabama, who did not even appear in their conference game. Uh, lost to Auburn, and they ended up putting Bama in, which caused a lot of consternation. I know Kirk Herbstreet, when he found out on the ESPN set, mm. he walked off of the set of, of whatever show that, that what they were doing. Um, I, I, I don't know how much you guys watched Clemson, or, or obviously you watched Clemson, but Oklahoma, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, I don't know how much you watched those teams. <laughs> But were you at all surprised that Bama got in? No, I wasn't. And honestly, I would have had them in. Um, I, th- I think it's more a case of excluding Ohio State than it is including yeah, Alabama. Yeah, you know, and I think so. And I, look, I do think Ohio State has the better resume as far as quality wins and all that. So how do you do it? Do you pick the team that has the better resume or do you pick the team that you think is better? Well, I, I, I think Alabama's better. I don't think their resume is as good, but I think they would beat Ohio State if they played head to head, well, Ohio State lost two games, right? Ohio State lost to points. Oklahoma uh, early in the season. It was at at the shoe, and then lost to Iowa, then fifty-five they were, to twenty-four. They were twenty-point favorites. You're versus Iowa, about, and they lost by thirty. You're talking about including a team in the playoffs that lost two games, one of which they lost by thirty-one points. And Oklahoma smacked them around too. That was a two-touchdown game. Yeah, at the horseshoe. Yeah, exactly. Those, those are bad optics, you know. Yeah. And and although you can you can debate Alabama's schedule and all that, they only lost one game. Correct? Alabama's yeah, but Alabama's strength of schedule was outside the top sixty in in FBS this year. Okay, yeah. but they didn't uh, lose two games, and they didn't lose a game by 31 Bama's, points. Bama's best win was LSU. But what if you just feel like Alabama's better? Yeah, and, and you know, th- that has been kind of the eternal argument 
My and, gut feels that Alabama that the best would, would beat Ohio State it. by a couple of touchdowns. Yeah. And that's probably the conclusion the committee came yeah. to. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. I, I agree. Now, who was uh, who was at number six? Wisconsin, who well, Ohio State beat. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you're not going to include Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, and then outside of that, there's Miami was number seven. They lost. Uh, I, be, I, I believe Auburn was seven, weren't they? Uh, or was it Miami? I'm not sure. I think Miami was seven, okay. and, and Auburn may have been eight, something like that. I know Penn State was hanging around number nine, but, you know, they, they didn't deserve so. You know who should have been number four? And I'm saying this half serious and half jokingly. UCF. They, they Look, they didn't lose all year. They went 12-0. and 0, I know the only two two ranked teams that they played all year was Memphis twice, but they beat them twice. Mm-hmm. They were the only team in my mind, outside of the original three, that half earned a, a, well, a spot to go fight for a national championship. You know that may be true, but that'll never happen, and that's why that I know it won't. But, th- but those teams need to be in their own division. That they need to have their own playoff, and and they a, should a not be part. Of, they should not be part of FBS. It should be the Power Five conference schools and the group in one of five. group for their own national title, and then the group of five for their own. I mean, there there should really be you know one double A football, one A football, and then that little group in between that, that is Memphis <laughs> and, and UCF and USF and all that. In my opinion, would you guys be in favor of expanding the playoff at this point? Uh, I would not. We we were actually talking about this on the board the other day, and and. I know it's not cut and dried. It's not an eight-team tournament, but the conference championship games kind of serve as a first round of the playoffs. Unless if, you're Alabama and you don't make the conference championship <laughs> game. Then, if, you, yeah. if you look at the, the top eight teams in the college football playoff rankings going into the conference championship games, uh, seven of the eight stayed in the top eight. The only one that got bumped was Miami. Miami was number seven. They lost. They fell out. And USC moved in, I think, at number eight and replaced them. There wasn't much movement uh, uh, among the, the top eight after the conference championship games. Um, so, th- so I guess the point I'm making is that uh, uh, there was some importance to the conference championship games because you had to make the top four. If you only had to make the top eight, how much did the results matter? You know, if yeah. you look, they really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you've got a de facto first round going on there in the conference championship games. So, you know, I, I think – and I think most of the guys on our board agree that four is a good number. I, I think FBS football is the only level of football that has a playoff that starts with the semifinals. Every, Get it, Mike Leach. Yeah. Well, <laughs> every, every other level of football is at least a 16-team playoff, right? Um, so, I, I, NFL, I think – The NFL would be 12 because they yeah, have six in each conference. That, that's but right, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I do think it has room to be expanded. I think it would be more entertaining if it was expanded. At the same time, the more games you play, the more of a chance there is an upset. So the more likely the best team doesn't necessarily win. Yeah. All right, you, all right, look at baseball. All right. Or even the NFL. All right. They call it Super Bowl champion. They call it World Series yeah. champion. They don't call it. Major League Baseball champion or NFL <laughs> champion. They're not saying that you're the best team in the NFL yeah. or the best team in the majors. You just won the playoffs. And anybody can get hot and win in the playoffs, you know, to a certain extent. And I, I do think the best team won in Major League Baseball this past year. And I do think the best team wins more times than not. But uh, not every time. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I, I don't think Villanova was the best team in college well, basketball. Well, but the difference you're talking ago. about is series versus one game, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. rounds. Yeah, to a certain extent. But, but I mean, even 
even in say basketball, Villanova winning it in a couple of years ago. You can't tell me the Villanova. I don't think Villanova was the best team in the country, in in my opinion. Like man for man, whatever. I mean, basically their same team got knocked out in the second round this past year. Yeah. So I, I, hey, I can you guys give me a second? In my mind, I'm reliving the glory of that last second shot that beat UNC. Yeah, oh my course. goodness, yeah, that was great. Uh, okay, I'm back with you now. <laughs> so, so you know, the more teams you involve, the, the more better of a chance of something like that happening is. And, and you know, I don't, I don't think a playoff necessarily proves who the best team is over a, you know, 14 game season. Really, I mean, when you consider those teams end up playing what? No, 15 games. I guess is what yeah. they end up playing. So, so what's your point? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I, I was, right. My point is, I really don't care. How about <laughs> how about a six team playoff? And this is what I've been advocating to, to my friends, and I've put it on the message boards. And I've talked about it on Twitter. I would be in favor of a six-team playoff because I think you're still keeping the sanctity of the regular season. The regular season is still really important, in my opinion. Um, and you have each Power Five conference champion is represented. Then you have a an at-large, or if you wanted, you could make it a group of five, the, the highest-rated group of five team. I'm willing to listen on that. Uh, yeah. And then you have the top two teams as rated by those by those six or those six teams. The top two are given a first round bye. See, and that that's where I think it falls apart. I don't uh, basketball is one thing, but I don't think you should ask football teams to play an extra game. The toll that it takes, uh, I think that, I think that's an unfair advantage. Uh, you know, it's a solid. I feel point. like you should have an advantage though of being the first or the second best team in the country. But what if you're not? What if the committee just votes you there? And well, that gets back to not. whether that, that gets back to whether At you least trust in the, the committee. In the or NFL, not. they just base it off records. Which, and honestly, the reasons we have all these arguments about this is because American sports have unbalanced scheduling, uh, for the most part. I mean, you're talking about how many teams? You know, 130 FBS teams now. Guess what? All those schedules are going to be different. When you can't even play all the teams in your conference, all the schedules are going to be different. Yeah. So. When you have unbalanced scheduling, there's no way anything's going to be perfect. There's no way to determine who should have home field advantage for the World Series. There's no way to determine uh, sure how the playoffs should be Sure, see who wins the All-Star game. Just sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, but because all of our sports, the scheduling is unbalanced, it's it's just the systems are never going to be perfect. Do you guys miss the BCS? I miss... No. I don't miss the BCS. <laughs> I really like the four-team playoff. I, I, what I, if you had I, the BCS I, determine the four teams in the playoff? Isn't that kind of what you have now? Uh, it's no, just a committee instead of computer programs. But see, here's the thing, and I think that this is a, a very uh, good argument, and I think there's a lot of evidence to support it. The committee has been extremely inconsistent in terms of the criteria that they are using to decide the four teams. Whereas the BCS, as flawed as it might have been, was consistent every single season. You knew how the teams were getting decided. So, uh, has anybody done a study on what the playoffs would have looked like each year with the BCS? I, I'm not. I don't believe so. Okay. Well, they should. But because I don't even know if anybody looks at the. If, See, the thing is, criteria. I'm an eye test guy, and when I, I just look at Ohio State's results, and they don't pass the eye test of a playoff team to me. You know, at least when Alabama lost, they lost to Auburn, and it was a good game. It was a seven-score game, uh, or seven-score, seven-point game. So, I just, to me, I mean, the, the metrics might say, yeah, Ohio State should be in there, but I don't think they should. And and the bottom line is, 
it's not going to be a perfect system ever. Um, if there's anything I would change about college sports, I would rip these conferences apart and put conferences out there where you can play each other every year to determine a true a true conference champion. You would have and like I, a power seven. I, maybe something like that. I mean, I I say this as a Virginia Tech fan, but Virginia Tech has a huge advantage over Miami and the Coastal because Virginia Tech gets to play Boston College every year as their crossover, and Miami has to play Florida State every year. They just got a new head coach, by the way. And and Georgia Tech has to play Clemson. And Georgia Tech has to play Clemson. I mean, Virginia Tech, just based on the scheduling advantage that Virginia Tech has, they should end up with more Coastal Division titles than Miami and Georgia Tech over a long long period of time. To be fair, uh, Florida State-Miami, I feel like they lobbied for that that crossover rivalry, and I feel like Georgia Tech and Clemson did the same thing. Of course. They did. So. So. But so still, careful the what point, you ask for, you the might point get still it. stands, Correct. but yes, I mean, they, they have to blame right. themselves a little bit. For so, that. right. So you're sitting there saying you can't even get balanced scheduling in your own conference. That's what so happens when you have 14 really, teams think, in the conference. Right, exactly. 15 so, in so basketball. I would rip all the conferences in half, basically. And, you know, if Virginia yeah. Tech's not in the same conference as Clemson and Florida State anymore, so be it. At least we're getting balanced scheduling for, to a certain extent, or at least more balanced than it is now. We could go on this for a long time. There's a lot of different possibilities in terms of conference Yeah, but if you, if you and, tour the ACC in two, you I might know. wind up with Virginia Tech playing an old Big East schedule against Syracuse and Pitt. And <laughs> Correct. Well, but we're already, we did that this year. Yeah. Boston College and Syracuse and Pitt this year. Even West well, Virginia. Well, Syracuse was last, last year. year. Syracuse yeah. was last year. But, 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 but you're right. There has been a little <laughs> bit of a, a recent Big East flavor there. Let's go ahead and move on to the next and, and really kind of the final thing I want to hit on. This will be a kind of a big section of the podcast, uh, the early signing period for the class of 2018 is roughly two weeks away. So this class is really coming to an abrupt end almost because most of the recruiting will be done before that period. There will be a little bit to be done afterwards. Uh, you'll probably have players like Dax Hollyfield who will be who will be announcing afterwards. Is KJ Henry announcing afterwards? No, he is announcing on the first day of the oh, early right. signing period. So, so his, so James, his James Mitchell is coming up. Quickly. James Mitchell's December fifteenth. KJ right. Henry is first day of signing. Yeah, I believe that'd be Dax December twentieth. Yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, f- before we get into the remaining targets, I want to hit on the the class as it sits right now because there's twenty three commitments. Not much with this class is going to change. There may be one decommit, possibly two. Uh, so, so let's go ahead and hit on this class now. Um, uh, of the 23 commitments, Chris, I want to ask you first, are there any of those guys that you've been able to watch so far that are kind of flying under the radar a bit and you think fans should be a little bit more excited about? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think the Adams kid. Well, when you talk about Virginia Tech, Eli Adams, Eli Adams defensive end when you talk South about. Carolina, Flying under the radar recruits in Virginia Tech, you generally the first place you look is def- is undersized defensive linemen, right? So Adams is about five eleven, but I like the way he gets off the ball, I like his leverage and and everything like that. So he's a possibility that 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 could be there. And I, I like the John Harris kid, the offensive lineman from from Georgia as well. How important and Tech has three offensive linemen signed for this class. They have John Harris, uh, Luke Tenuta from uh, from Virginia, and Jordan McFadden from South Carolina, and obviously. There's a little bit of uncertainty surrounding Jordan McFadden's status. Uh, And they get Christian Darisaw, who was a 2017 signee, but will be enrolling this winter. Um, And where is Darisaw right now? He's at FUMA, Fort Fort Union. Union. Uh, So how important was it for Tech to get to three offensive linemen, and as we'll talk about later in this section, possibly more? Uh, You know, I'm I'm always the type where if you've got room and – 
and you think you can get an offensive lineman that you feel like has the potential to be a solid player, then take him. You can never have too many good offensive linemen. Got to play five of them. Yeah, you got to play five of them, exactly. Uh, and, and I think what you've seen Virginia Tech do over the last couple of years, I think Fuente, he, well, he's on record as saying he likes the young offensive linemen in the program. I don't think he particularly liked the young linebackers in the program, considering there really weren't any in the program. I don't blame And them. the ones that were yeah, are almost yeah, all gone at this it, point. Exactly. And, and the – didn't have very many defensive linemen in the program, and the wide receiver talent level was kind of non-existent outside of Cam and Isaiah. So we've seen Virginia Tech over-recruit linebacker, defensive line, and wide receiver over the last two recruiting classes, and the, and the secondary this year also. Because Yeah, that was another thing I wanted to ask. Yeah. Is I think believe there are roughly six, yeah. maybe even seven guys that could play in the secondary yeah. from this class. Yeah, you're exactly right. So I think you've seen Fuente and his staff decide to over-recruit the positions where he thought they were weak as far as depth. And, yes, there will be attrition at those spots because when you bring in seven or eight defensive backs in one class, you know, guess what? You're going to end up losing half of them yeah. in the first couple of years. So, uh, but, but I think that's kind of the right strategy. I, I would like to take more offensive linemen and – who knows, maybe they will, and they probably will start doing so next year. But I think things were unbalanced on this team as far as a talent standpoint, as far as the distribution of talent from a position-by-position position standpoint. Uh, and, I, and I just think they focused on the positions where they didn't have very much talent or very much depth in their first couple of recruiting classes. And, and offensive line honestly wasn't one of those. Will, I know that when it comes to recruiting, you look at things from a little bit of a bird's eye view. You're not down in the trenches you know, following all of the, the daily updates and whatnot. Um, but w- when you look at Tech's current commit list, which of those recruits excites you the most? Uh, without a doubt, the wide receivers, Daryl Simmons and Trey Turner. Uh, Why is that? Well, because Tech was just missing outside receivers this year. Um, and those guys are outside receivers. And uh, I think when you take the two of them and throw them in with uh, Hazleton, Yep, the, the kid who uh, sat out this year, transferred from Caleb, Ball State. Caleb Farley. Yep. Uh, any other outside receivers? Philip didn't? Patterson. Philip Patterson. Well, he started playing towards the end of the year. Yeah. James but, Mitchell will probably commit to Tech. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll hit on him in a second. I think if you throw that many bodies at a position where two or three guys are re- – well, two guys are required on any given play, I, I think they'll be able to find enough mm-hmm. um, out of all those guys. And – uh and then be set for uh, for years. We hope, you know. Um, so that's the, I, I like that. I think I think that's a that's a position that really uh, I'm trying to pick the right words here. Uh, I don't think the offensive coaches could do everything they wanted to do this year. And yeah. I think part of the yeah, problem was a lack of of good, reliable, consistent, talented outside receivers. And they're fixing that problem both with guys that they've got waiting in the wings and guys that they're recruiting this year. So um, I think I think that you're going to see the offense get transformed starting next year. And that's a big reason. I think that's just part of it that's been missing. I don't think, you know, Fuente doesn't have a history of having a bell cow running back. So what you've been seeing at running back is – uh, they could use more explosive. Right yeah, now. you know that that's that's standard for Fuente. I think his slot receivers were pretty good. Um, you know, Sean Savoy and uh, um, Cam Phillips. Uh, I, I just and he's got tight ends. We didn't throw to him a lot this year for some reason. 
But I just think the one thing they're really missing that they need to make their offense go is outside receivers. So saw how different the offense looked with Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges on the yeah, outside. Yeah, a lot years different. Ago. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's uh, going to change again next year, big time. Yeah, it, it is. It's going to be a different looking offense. And as good as Cam Phillips is, I still think he's a better fit for the slot than he was an outside receiver. Yeah, and, I think that's fair. And how many plays did Virginia Tech leave on the field this year when they tried to throw a fade or something down the sideline? And unless it was one of those back shoulder fades, it looks more like an out pattern than an actual fade. Yeah. Uh, they just didn't have a lot of success w- w- with that. And and I think they'll probably have a little more success with that next Starting season. Starting next year, and yeah. I think it'll get better as, as the, the new guys get more experience. Although Hazelton might hit the ground running right away. He caught 55 passes as a freshman. As a true, as a true freshman yeah. at Ball State. And the reason he ended up at Ball State is because he only played wide receiver one year of high school. He was a running back before that. So you don't have any tape on him as a wide receiver until mid to late November of his senior year. And at that point, these days, with the recruiting calendar pushed up, you know, you could have all your commits in place. Like Virginia Tech, could they take another true receiver right now in this class? Probably not. You know, I mean, you have yeah. James, James Mitchell as a hybrid between receiver and tight end, but you just you just don't have room for a guy that you discover late. And that's why he ended up at Ball State. And I think they realized how good he was at Ball State in that first year. And I thought he looked like, you know, from what I heard and what little I saw in the preseason, Thought he looked like Tech's second-best receiver then. That's what I think we've all heard is that if, if Damon Hazleton were, and, and Holman Wiggins kind of hinted at it uh, d- during the season, during interviews, if Hazleton was eligible, he would have been a starter this year out opposite of Cam Phillips, and you would have had Hazleton, Phillips on the outside, and you probably would have had Savoy in the slot instead of having Savoy kind of platoon inside and outside for, for Tech this season. Uh, l- l- let's go ahead and hit on some of these remaining targets because there's a lot of names here. And as we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, there's not a lot of spots left for, for Virginia Tech in terms of the class of 2018. So here are really kind of the big names that you need to know of that Tech is still on right now. Obviously, this list will fluctuate. You might see some names added to it. You'll see some names taken off because we do have a little bit more time. Uh, Anthony Grant is a running back. Uh, he's a, a University of Tennessee commit. Obviously, there's a lot of issues there with UT and whether or not they're going to have a head coach. We don't know when they're going to get the head coach, and the early signing period is obviously coming up. Uh, Chris, you, you mentioned James Mitchell, like kind of a hybrid wide receiver, tight end guy. Uh, think kind of a Bucky Hodges type player, I think, for James I, Mitchell. I think, I think that's, that's fair. fair at this point. He's not as tall. Uh, you know, and you've got to get him in and, and see how he grows and everything like that. But And he's already 6'4". Yeah, exactly. And he lines up on the outside a lot in high school. I, I think that's where he'll end up at Virginia Tech. Uh uh, probably a similar style player to Drake Dulles. Drake Dulius. Dulius. I'm, I'm going to get that right. Eventually, eventually you're going to get that uh, right. I think I got it right for a while, and then I forgot. <laughs> uh, but anyway. I'm All right, relaxed. so then we have offensive lineman uh, Rashid Walker, Walker Culver, who just decommitted from Colorado recently, and then Jesus Gibbs, who is technically a South Carolina commit. Then you have, obviously, K.J. Henry at defensive end, five-star prospect. He's a name everyone knows. Dax Hollyfield, that's another name everyone knows. He's a consensus four-star kid. Um, another name that a lot of people might not know is Javante Jean-Baptiste. I hope I pronounced the name correctly. Kind of a hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end prospect. Um, he had a late offer. There were some academic concerns there, but he's on the board for Tech. And obviously the Juco defensive back, Jeremy Webb. Uh, Virginia Tech is really high on him. Um, the problem with all of these names is, and I think that 
if Tech had space, they would take almost every single one of these yeah. guys. Is that fair? No, I think it's totally fair. I think if you look back the last time Virginia Tech signed a top 20 class, according to the Rivals.com rankings, was in 2007 when they signed 33 players. Uh, and, you know, the Rivals rankings, you know, back then took into account numbers of players signed yeah. and everything like that. So I, that was a big part of Tech signing a top 20 class back then. And, yeah, like I said, 33 is a lot of guys, and I think they'd take around 30 guys this year if they could. Well, the problem is, is that they cannot because of the new NCAA recruiting rules. Uh, we they think. have, they, you know, yeah, they they have really closed up a lot of the loopholes. Everybody always wonders about the 25 number limit because that 25 limit has been in place for kind of a while now. But coaches were able to use a lot of different loopholes to put guys in different classes. You could create space here and there, and you could end up taking 28, 29 guys. Uh, well, you can't really do that as much now because they've closed a lot of those loopholes. So that 25 limit is is not really, really hard and firm, but it's pretty close at this point. Here's the thing. you know, I've tried to look up the rules online, and I actually couldn't find the rule online. All I found is a bunch of articles where the rule was passed saying that there's a hard <laughs> hard limit of 25 now. So I've never actually drilled down there to see what kind of loopholes exist. You know, one of our recruiting gurus on our board, Hokey83, you know, he talks like Tech will be able to sign more than 25, and maybe not 30, but, but yeah. you, you know, so I don't know exactly what those loopholes are. But see, that's the problem is that uh, the, the sources that we have kind of inside and outside the program I don't even know if they know what the rules are at this point. I I don't know if they do or not, and I, because they're 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 so new and they're it, it was really confusing in the first place how the numbers were made to work. Yes, uh, but now with with all the loopholes closed and you know I think people are still trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of smart guys getting paid a lot of money to figure this out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here scrolling up and down the list while we're talking and just saying, yeah, I'll take that guy, I'll take that guy, I'll take that guy. Uh, I, I want to hit on these a really quick one by one. Anthony Grant, obviously a UT commit. He's a running back. Um, not a huge, big build, but he's an athletic player. He plays at a good program, Buford High School yeah. in Georgia. Um, obviously, I know that y'all would like to take him if you're if you're tech, but. How important is it that they get a player like an Anthony Grant, even oh, though they already have Caleb Stewart's or not signed but committed for this class? They have Cole Beck yeah. from Blacksburg committed for this class, and I, I uh, James Graham is a potential guy who could play receiver, running back, I really defensive want, back. I really want to offer the Elijah Davis kid. Yeah, and then you Lynchburg. have Elijah, nicknamed Lala Elijah Davis. Uh, just, I'm going to call him Elijah. Thank you. That, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. How many how many uh, rushing yards did he have this season? He's got over three thousand at this point. <laughs> so he set uh, he set VHSL records this year. Talking about Elijah Davis out of his heritage, heritage in Lynchburg. Yes. Uh, I, I can't remember. You know, I was skimming an article of their career records, season records. Uh, did did he score an outrageous number of touchdowns? Do you guys know? Probably after here? the playoffs last week, he's probably up to around sixty. The that, last that, playoff that game sort of rings a bell. I know I, it's a I, really high number. I know at I one point he was up to fifty five. So it's probably sixty. Now. I think that's because he had about four hundred yards last week against uh, Staunton River. Yeah, I think Stanton I River, think that's whatever. a uh, VHSL season record for for touchdowns. Yeah, um, that's so. pr- it probably is. That sounds about right. 
So we're we've been sitting around trying to figure out why more programs haven't offered him. He's got he's, offers he's, from James Madison and ODU. Yeah, him. that's and, it. And his, at least at this point, his numbers are really good. His films are really good. And it's not like he's small. I mean, this guy's big. I yeah, think he's I think, got bigger he, thighs what, than, than any back in the tech program right about, now, except for maybe Peoples. I think he's about two hundred pounds already. Uh, he, he reminds me of Peoples, except more athletic and 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 better at the same stage in my opinion so I don't, I don't know what the backstory i know he tore up his knee as a freshman first game of his freshman year i'm like acl pcl mcl Man. everything so, and he didn't come back until halfway through his sophomore year and didn't get rolling to his junior year but at this point there, there should be plenty of film so i don't know i wish tech had more room back to anthony grant uh, I think Anthony Grant is a better prospect than both running backs who are currently committed, and that's not taking anything anything away from Beck or Caleb Stewart. But Anthony Grant, when I watch his film, he's very explosive, and I, and, I, and I say that watching him on the kickoff team, and he's just throwing guys around like a rag doll. And generally, you can tell how good, how natural a guy is as a football player when you watch him without the ball in his hands. And when you watch Anthony Grant without the ball in his hands, he's still a really good football player. And that's where some of these other guys have to work on, like Cole Beck, for example. If you watch the film of – it's obviously not his highlight film, but uh, <laughs> when you when you watch the highlight film of that receiver that plays for Black, Tyquest, Tyquest, Terry. Tyquest, Tyquest Terry, who I Terry. think is the best player Class on Class of 2019 recruit right. to name when, to watch. When you watch his film, obviously Terry has the ball. So you watch Beck on those plays when Terry has the ball, and Beck just stands there, and he doesn't block downfield. He just kind of stands there and stands around and watches. And Grant does not do that. Uh, so I really like Grant's all-around game, uh, and, and I would like to find room for him in this class, but I like to find room for Elijah Davis in this class too, so I don't know how it's going to work out. Considering that Tech already has two backs committed for this class, is it imperative that they get one of those guys? I don't think it's imperative. Now, if one of those guys turns into a college level, star, then I'll go back and say, yes, yes. man, it was imperative that Tech got one. Got and and, him, and that's, that's what's so tempting about Elijah Davis is the, number, the numbers are obscene. Yeah. And you're like, this, could this guy be a program changer? He, you know, he's big enough. He's got the measurables. He looks fast enough. He looks quick enough. He looks like he's got really good balance. He's from an hour away, and he rushed for 3,000 yards. Uh, and he just has the feel of a football player. Andre Kendrick loves him, man. Andre Kendrick, the, uh, an old Virginia Tech running back from uh, the Michael Vick era, still lives in Lynchburg, uh, loves this kid. So uh, it's it's got to be tempting. And I know Zon Burton went to his game against Stanton River this past week and put eyes on him, probably to see how he played when the ball wasn't in yeah. his hands more so than when it was in his hands. Although if I was the Heritage coach – I don't think very many plays would go by where yeah, the ball yeah. wasn't in his hands. I feel like you're going to have the ball in Elijah Davis's hands more often than not. Uh, obviously, James Mitchell, we hit on him briefly. As Will mentioned, he'll be deciding on December 15th. Virginia Tech, Duke, and Georgia look like the the, the top three there. Um, are we con- still confident that James Mitchell is, is leaning towards Tech? I feel good about it. Yeah. I think you know Tech is the program he's most familiar with. He's visited the most times. He's uh, from Southwest Virginia. Yeah, there's a lot of people down there that went to Virginia Tech. So, yeah, I think he'll end up in, in Blacksburg, yes. This is going to be the, a really interesting part of this discussion, the offensive line group. So Tech is still in on a few offensive linemen at this point. Rasheed Walker, who's a consensus four-star player, um, has offers just to go to about anywhere he wants, Ohio State, Penn State, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Walker Culver, who was a Colorado commit, he has since decommitted. Ohio State looks like they could, they're could they gunning for him at this point. 
Jesus Gibbs, who is another in-state prospect, uh, currently committed to South Carolina. Um, Tech hasn't really put the moves on him yet, but they've kept him on their radar. Uh, We all know that Jordan McFadden could decommit at any moment. He obviously got the offer from Clemson. He lives less than an hour, two hours away from Clemson. He grew up a Clemson fan. It was his dream school. If Jordan McFadden decommits, is it imperative for Tech to get one of either Rasheed Walker or Walker Culver or even Jesus Gibbs? I think so. I mean, you don't want to get too low on on offensive line numbers, especially tackles, and all these guys are tackles. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, I think I think it's pretty important. I don't think Tech will get Rasheed Walker. Uh, I think they stand a pretty good chance of getting Walker Walker Culver, who I think is a good prospect. And I would take him whether McFadden decommits or not. Really? Okay. So see, even with the number concerns, you would still take either either Rasheed Walker or Walker Culver at this point? I would, yes. Okay. So Culver's uh, 6'5", 270 out of uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's right. Yeah, and th- th- that weight might not – it might be a little higher. Now, obviously, the weights update every periodically yeah. as kids get bigger, but – um, you know he's got a good amount of offers. You know he was committed to Colorado, which is not a a, a bad program by any any means. Ohio um, State's offered him, and now Ohio there. State is is putting the moves on him. So it certainly seems like there's some some talent there. Yeah, we've got him listed at uh, Tech offer: Ohio State, Notre Dame, UNC, Georgia Tech. Good uh, prospect. Yes. Wake Forest. Yeah. You know several more good offers. You, you, it's so hard to project offensive linemen yeah. with somebody that really big. How is. are they going to grow? How's their strength going to develop? Uh, you know, you, you look at their potential ability and their current ability, and uh, it, you know if if you if you put a box and and you filled it and you filled it up, if it's half full with current ability and your potential ability is still half empty, then you got a chance to be a really good player. But what if that box is ninety percent filled up and the guy's hitting close to his yeah. potential ability? It's hard to tell when guys are two hundred seventy to three hundred pounds what their potential ability is, or and how well they'll be able to move their feet when they add twenty pounds on their frame and things like that. So I just offensive line recruiting is such a crapshoot. To me, it's about numbers is, is and developing anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two names that, that we mentioned, obviously that, that everyone knows KJ Henry and Dax Hollyfield. Uh, these guys are consensus top or blue chip kind of guys. Um, I know that tech has over recruited defensive end and linebacker recently, but obviously Dax Hollyfield and KJ Henry yeah. takes at this point still. Yeah. I, I, Seems seems that way. I think I'd love to have Dax from a recruiting ranking standpoint. I think it's proven over time that the more four star, five star type kids you put into your program, the better chance you have to win championships. And you have to take each individual recruit on a case by case basis. But overall, on the aggregate, four and five star recruits equal championships. And you're talking four and five star recruits here. And I, I think Virginia Tech already has a really good Mike prospect committed in this class. Keyshawn Artis Keyshawn from Artis. Oscar Smith, which is a good program. He's, at he's a, I think he's a four-star kid in my book. He's not quite as tall as Dax, but he's physical. I'm pretty sure we have him as a four-star on TSL. Yeah, think, we do, yeah. And ESPN yeah. has him as a four-star. But at the same time, so, they're both going to play Mike, I think. So you really don't need two Mikes in and this class. And you have class. Dylan Rivers, who uh, already committed, and he's going to be a sophomore. Right, right. And, and this Richard is something Will and I Ashby is playing Mike this year. This is something that Will and I were talking about earlier, is that as good as Bud is, one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people have a sticking point with him is that he doesn't rotate his linebackers. 
and yeah. that and that can historically cause some, yeah, some, some problems there. But but, there, but there's a counter argument that he hasn't had guys he's felt comfortable right. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, back Who I remember knows? when he rotated Jake House House Wright and Brian Welch, and those guys were the exact same player. Basically. Yeah, they, they weren't House, both the House same. House Wright was bigger, but they were the same player. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they just haven't seen that very often. Where he's had guys, uh, you know, in, in linebackers, especially the Mike linebacker, such an important spot. Um, but yes, Dax is obviously a take. He's visited Virginia Tech more than any other school. I bet he's visited Tech fifteen or twenty times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's above. It, that, it'll it'll yeah. come down to Tech and Stanford, um, which is what we were hearing after he visited Tech for the UNC game. Uh, to be clear, Dax is probably going to be a February uh, yeah. signee because yeah. I believe he has an official to Stanford in January. Yeah, and that will that will, that will probably end up deciding how things go. I think so, but uh, I, I I think he'll pick Tech. Stanford is a long way away. It is. Oh, w- but it's Stanford. It's Stanford. <laughs> Will, how important is it um, in terms of the uh, kind of the um, perception of the program to start getting guys every so often, like a KJ Henry or a Dax Hollyfield, guys who are renowned con- as a consensus, you know, four or five star player? It, it's important. It's important to the perception of the program. It's not just a it, it's a snowball thing. Once you get it rolling, once you get some four-star guys and, and sprinkle on a five-star guy to get things going, you know, great players want to play with other great players. Yeah. They want to play for winners, and they want to play with other great players. Um, so somebody's got to start the ball rolling. And for Virginia Tech, that guy's perceived as being Cornell Brown back in 1993. Which yeah. I don't think is completely accurate. You know, Maurice DeShazo committed in 1990. And he was the number three player in yeah, the state, right? Yeah, he was right? a big time and, and if And if you look at Virginia Tech, they had a good 94 class in state. But I don't think they signed a single top ten player in the state in 1995. And maybe like one or two in 96. But they really didn't. It picked up in 98 they, they, with, with Vic I, it, it and Suggs. Right. And, it didn't really pick up until they went to about four bowl games in a row. Uh, so people, I mean, Frank really started saying it was Cornell, but I, I don't, I don't agree. I, I, I don't think it really picked up until around 1997, 1998 years like that. It took a while. Now Devin Hunter was perceived to be that guy last year. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, if you get either one of Dax or Cage, you don't have. I mean, getting both is is going to be a pretty low percentage at this point. Nah. If you get one of those guys, though, that helps push that whole. North Carolina movement that Tech is trying to do because the state of North Carolina is so deep in terms and, of and that's, talent. That's part of the reason that both of them are so important. Uh, part of it, you know, yeah. it's not just the stars. It's it's where Virginia Tech's putting an emphasis. The last player I want to hit on in, in this group is Jeremy Webb. He's a JUCO kid. We obviously know that Greg Stroman will be graduating. He's gone. Brandon Faison graduating. He's gone. Um, Adonis Alexander could turn pro. He's eligible to go okay. if he wants. Uh, so you, you have a lot of uncertainty at that position in terms of who's going to start next year, um, who are the backups going to be. I know Bryce Watts and Tyree Rogers were the backups this year, but it looks like one of those guys might have to start next year. Mm-hmm. But if you get a guy like Jeremy Webb, who has you know offers from Nebraska now because he was being recruited by Scott Frost, who's now in, obviously in Lincoln, um, he has an offer from West Virginia, so he has some good offers. Um, how important is it to get a guy like Webb, even though they already have, like we mentioned, six to seven defensive back prospects? Yeah, uh, I think Webb, you never know what you're getting with JUCOs. Uh, Tech has a mixed 
success rate when it comes to JUCOs over the years. And most of Tech's JUCOs that I remember were taken in the mid-90s and things like that. They quit taking JUCOs when they joined the ACC until Justin Fuente got And then Gerard Evans. Right. Uh, So there's a mixed success rate with, with that group back in the day. I think Webb, when you watch his highlight tape, the first thing he does is he takes a wide receiver and pushes him out of bounds through the chain gang. So there's like, there's like three or four people on the ground. It's it's the the wide receiver and the people holding up the chain on the sideline. He's a big physical corner. You know, six, six, three, six, three, 195. Six, six, three, 195. Uh, will be up over two hundred after he spends some time in a weight room. He could easily be two hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, I mean, at six te- foot te- three. could have two huge starting corners next year. Yeah. I mean, absolute monster starting corners as far as their size and how yeah. big they look and everything like that. Um, I I I would re- I'd really like to add. Well, up to this class. I'd have said that for every single recruit we've talked about. <laughs> but, but again, the numbers yeah. are going to be an issue. And I know he seems, everybody always says, don't worry about the numbers. But like we mentioned, it's going to be a little tougher this year. He seems very excited about the Nebraska offer. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Definitely. As we wrap up this recruiting discussion, the question I want to ask both of you guys is, um, in terms of general perception, in terms of overall big picture, is Tech's recruiting making the necessary leaps um, that it needs to make in order to elevate Tech as a program? Even even if it may not be making them as fast as you'd like, is it still at least going in the right direction? I think so, but it's 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 more subtle. Um, if you just like if you pull up rivals and 24/7's rankings, uh, you're not seeing many four stars. Yeah, sprinkled in there. You're not seeing a recruiting ranking that's that's any higher than fifteenth to twentieth, but so, which is higher than we've had the last ten years. This is true. Yeah, but, but from that standpoint, it's not moving the needle. It's Correct. not. It's not making people go wow um, and and get really excited. Uh, now we know from studying the the number of offers that these kids have that the uh, number of power five offers, you know, there's three star guys and then there's three star guys. These are, I, I say there's not many four star guys on in text commit list. There's a lot of high three star guys. There's three star guys that have offers from Virginia tech and uh, VMI, like, like, like kind of like Seth Dooley, somebody like that. Yeah. Or there's three stars like Isaiah Ford with 25 offers. Right. And, yeah. and Virginia tech is recruiting more of the Isaiah Ford types. Yes. Um, and I think you're going to see that over time. With you're going to see development, you're going to see depth, and and you'll look back and you'll say, yeah, those classes on paper were weren't a whole lot better than what Virginia Tech historically does, but you know they they turned out to be. You got ignore the stars to a certain extent and dig deeper. Isaiah Ford had about 25 Power Five offers, and he wasn't a four star player. I think Rivals had him as a three star recruit and the number 63 receiver in the country or something like that. But he had a lot of Power Five offers. Everybody wanted him. He originally committed to Louisville. Florida tried to get him to decommit from Virginia Tech on signing day and everything like that. And he was a sought-after prospect. Holland Fisher was a four-star recruit who was a top 100 player nationally, and Holland had about 12 offers. And I'm not even sure exactly how many of those schools would have actually taken Holland if push come, came and to shove. And we obviously know how Holland Fisher turned out. Ford had twice as many offers. A lower yeah. overall rating for some reason, but twice as many offers. So just don't look at that. Just don't go to Virginia Tech's commitment page and look at stars. It gives you an overall guideline, but there's always something deeper you can look Generally at. speaking, the more Power 5 schools that want you, that that's usually a good sign. But then even then, when you look at Power 5 offers, you also have to look at the quality of that offer. Correct. There is a difference between being offered by, uh, no offense, Syracuse. Kansas. Uh, or Kansas. 
and then being offered by Oklahoma State yes. or being offered by uh, even North Carolina, North Carolina NC Clemson, State, Maryland, Clemson, any, Florida any, any, State. Yeah, yeah. Any major school that has a chance to go to a bowl game, you know, you know, it's it's you'd rather beat out Clemson for a recruit than Boston College. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So there's no, I mean, just like just like scheduling, there's no perfect way to look at recruiting. Definitely. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this one. Obviously, no game this weekend. We will have an interview session with the Virginia Tech coaching staff and several players on Saturday. We'll have plenty of coverage from that. And then, obviously, we'll have full coverage again uh, next week as we start to get ready, really digging into this bowl game and figuring things out. Also, there's a special guest coming soon. I will not name his name, but I want, I want to give you guys a little bit of a cliffhanger there. Once we get all the details, we'll go ahead and put that out there. But just just keep in mind that we're going to have a really special guest coming into the podcast coming in very, very soon. Uh, but until then, that's all the time we have for this one. For Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, I'm Ricky the Blue. Thanks for listening.